This is Life with Alcohol and Drugs, a podcast from the charity Scottish Families Affected by Alcohol and Drugs. My name's Richard Watson and I work for Scottish Families Effective Alcohol and Drugs as their Connecting Families Development Officer and I'm here today chatting with John Taylor. John, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hello Titch, good to see you again. Yeah, uh, my name's John Taylor, so I am the Friends and Family Lead for uh, Turning Point Drug and Alcohol Service. We are based in London. Um, so supporting friends and families who are affected by other substance misuse. Great, John. Um, and we're here today to talk about your your book, which has just been released um, on digital form. Um, and you've got a hard copy coming out really soon as well, which is really exciting. Um, I was very honoured to have um, to get access to a draft of this and I read it and I loved it, John. And I'm I'm just so pleased you got in touch with Scottish families and um, given us such great access to the work you've been doing. How's it been? How are you feeling about this book being launched? Yeah, listen, thanks. I mean, it, it you know I, I'm really honoured that you've took it on. Obviously, a lot of the story is based in just in Glasgow and Milton and Campsie and Lennox Town. You know, a lot of the trauma I suffered down to my mum's alcoholism was based up there. Um, and, um, you know, yourself, um, Nakoa and Adfam, you know, you're the three organisations who, you know, who I went to because obviously my passion is about families. It's funny, how am I feeling? I'm feeling a bit strange because, especially the last couple of weeks, because it probably I finally let go of it. It's been all encompassing. I think that's the word for the last couple of years. And now it's out there. Um yeah, I mean, a couple of people have started reading it on on um, on digital. So, yeah, probably in a little bit of no man's land. I mean, I'm going away tomorrow on holiday, so I probably I probably need a holiday. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, in a bit of a strange place at the moment, if I was to be honest. It, it must be. It makes me so just for for the audience who don't know, I, I, I'm also I'm in recovery and you're in recovery yourself, John. And I think that's one of the things that I learned in my recovery journey was to watch out for these emotional highs and lows. And um, it must be quite a major thing for you, do you know? So I'm not surprised you're not quite sure how you're feeling. But because um, I know that if I'd been working on a big, huge project like this, how, how long was it? That it, What was the duration it took you to write the book? So um, it was about 18 months and then the last six months have been, you know, uh, putting it together, a little bit of tidying up, adding bits. So 18 months it was finished and then the last six months, you know, things coming up and adding little bits, little stories. So it actually started just just after lockdown. Mm. So about March so it's just been under two years um you know um so yeah but probably the writing 18 months properly so has that been a nice distraction from Covid do you know what it's funny isn't it I mean it was the the, the thing was the strange thing is about six months ago 
I got in a place of feeling a bit lost because all of a sudden days off and when you were locked down and all that it was like right I'm on the book and then it was like oh I haven't got the book to write anymore what do I do now sort of thing so it was definitely a, a distraction even though you know it, some parts of it could be traumatic it was definitely a distraction definitely yeah no it's a, it's a, it's a great book and like you say it, the, the book starts it's so I hope that the people listening to this podcast will go on and, and get a copy of it. It's alcoholstolemymum.co.uk, and we'll put that link in as well. Um, and it, the story's kind of chronological, really, isn't it? It starts off with you young, when you're younger days, growing up in Scotland with your mum and um, and then moving down to London and and, a, um, and then your, the rest of your journey. And I really like about the book as well, you kind of, tie it in there's a wee theme of football going through it as well which is is you know I'm, I'm a I'm a bit of a football fan um it's difficult when my, my team gets beaten quite regularly um but yeah no it's really nice isn't it and there's it's not just football there's a lot of sport and and you know I guess what I liked was that I mean I say at first I thought oh you're you talk really openly about the team you support and it was a big part of your of of your upbringing, it wasn't it? Um, do you think it would have been a different if you'd supported a smaller team? Like what the fact that Celtic is a big team, how important was that to you? Was- I think, I mean, just I mean, I spent a lot of my time. I, I obviously the, the start of the um, book is like me in London, um, but my mum and dad were both Scottish, and I spent a lot of time obviously in in Scotland. And the start of the book is really like a love story of of me and my mum. I mean, I absolutely adored my mum, you know, and the start of the book. And it's like, you know, up to the age of eight, it was like, you know, my my life was it was like Little House on the Prairie, you know, or it was like this beautiful, you know, lovely, lovely mum and dad, little sister. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, it just turns you know, obviously with everything that happened. Um, and football for me, it was like, I was like a normal kid, just obsessed. So my, my dad was an Arsenal supporter. So I was an Arsenal supporter in um, like, you know, my English team. And then when I went up to Scotland, obviously being a Catholic, um, brought up a Catholic Celtic, you know, and and I was, I was told about the Celtic Lisbon Lions, the stories, I remember as a young, young kid, because of everything that was going on for me, Titch, I just used to immerse myself in football books or cricket books. And it was, you know, you talk about escapism. I used to read these books from cover to cover, you know, just every bit of fact to get away from the sort of madness that that was going on. Um, And it's really funny you know, my sort of safe places were like Celtic Park and Highbury because I knew that, well, especially in them days, all the games were played at three o'clock on a Saturday. They're not anymore. I knew at three o'clock on a Saturday I was going to be there. It was the only thing that was consistent in my life and the only thing that was that was safe for me, you know. And that went on for all sports, you know, playing or watching sport. It was the safety thing, yeah. I, th- I think the, the fact that... that- when you talked about football and being this, I totally get that escapism. I remember those being quite young and, and as my family broke down um, 
just being able to be out all days in those long summer nights and and, we, and life felt quite safe then you know it was like you didn't you got called in it was a very different world then yeah but also with that something chimed in your book with me and it really touched me it was at the scene um the school sports day it wasn't quite the same and we'll go into that in just a second but it was I used to remember waiting for my dad to turn up to watch me play football and he never did do you know I always thought maybe this will be the week he turns up and I'd be maybe concentrating the game and I've got a wee half eye on the sideline to see if he's turned up and he never did and that's that at that age when you're a young person and you're trying to like first it's for me it was so hard to get into the football team it was about it, it was that first real thing of being accepted by other people um getting accepted in that football team and I wanted to celebrate that that has happened to me and that, that I felt like I guess I wanted that acceptance from my dad as well that's a different story but that link between sport and childhood is really strong isn't it and um, in your book it's really strong and, and that do you want to talk through about that scene that, that you describe in your book that that we've talked about a bit before but it's really prominent for me and what yeah. was it like that day at sports day for you? I mean, just before I talk about that, I mean, the first thing you like with my dad, I try to get my dad's approval all my life, you know, um, always, always try to get his approval. Um, so I definitely, you know, um, you know, identify with you there. The sports day w- was a massive thing. There, there was two incidences when I which I wrote in the book. So what had happened is I'd started learning to run away from my mum because my mum was drunk. My sort of like, um, you know, my reaction was just to run away from her, you know, and I wouldn't even find out if she'd been drinking or not. I just had so much shame around her. I used to run away from her. So there was an incident beforehand when I was serving uh, mass and as an altar boy and she come into the church drunk and the shame and I couldn't run away. And I remember feeling more shame. Um, but th- th- that service only went on for um, for whatever how long it was, an hour. It was still bad enough, but it was like a build-up. So the sports day, I remember waking up in the morning thinking, sports day, I'm, you know, I remember thinking I'm going to get four medals here with my mate, whatever we were doing, the, f- the three-legged race and the egg and spoon, or whatever we was doing and thinking, yeah, I'm definitely going to, you know, win loads of medals. And, and my mum turned up in this field you know drunk staggered through the field fell over and I just remember having at the time just this sort of shame that everyone knew because I the story is that I'd been hiding everyone knew in the village you know my mum was the alcoholic but I try and you know bearing in mind I'm eight or nine nine here I try and keep her indoors you know, because I just, if I could keep her indoors, then no one would know she was, everyone knew she was an alcoholic. But then when she turned up first at church, but church, there was only, I don't know how many people in the church, you know, 30, 40. But sports day, it was the whole school. So everyone knew. And um, and just, I just remember the feelings of just wanting to die, you know, just thinking, I just, I just wish you know, and, and watching it and then watching her fall over, picking her up, and then and then she used to like disappear to the toilet with a little half bottle. I knew she was doing all the time. And um and and after that, so just the crippling sort of like shame of my mum turning up and 
and looking around at the other kids with their mums and their dads and all hugging them and you know really like proud of them um and and i write in the book after that i started having this re recurring dream as well you know i don't know if you remember it Chich, when i'm i'm in a theater and my mum's up on the stage and and i'm trying to stop her from getting up on the stage and it it was like a reoccurring dream of the shameful don't go up there don't shame me mum um yeah so that but that that was that was um and and you know the thing is Titch, if you remember a little bit later on where, when my mum was buried she was buried next to my school and as she was getting lowered into the ground I looked over and I could see the sports day it's St Macken school I could see the sports field and it's interesting about this sort of trauma you know childhood trauma it's like a form of PTSD it was oh how many years before 25 30 years before and I still them feelings still come up you know of how I felt all them years ago it was really good how you picked up on that teach and i think on the quote as well we we used it so it was really good yeah yeah no it's uh, I, I just when you were talking there i, I wondered i, I kind of felt fear i wondered about at that period in in the in the 80s whether did the school say anything did you get any support at the school because i i went through a few things in it in my adult life when i was in early recovery i sat with a woman and um, we talked about through trauma and various things that had happened to me and she was she was kind of shocked at the amount of opportunities that um whether it was a police or a court or this a school or a hospital or someone had a professional had an opportunity to make an intervention and there was all these missed opportunities for some sort of support and I, and it's but i think you know i think you might get that now but i think looking back i don't know whether schools were equipped to really make those type of interventions if the culture at the time or especially around alcohol was a little bit more forgiving and you know a bit more accepting that a lot of people drank and drank heavily i'm not sure what you're taking is that did did you feel that you someone ought to have done something or or did someone have well, actually did you get any support well it's funny you say that so that was when was that that was about 79 so that if you remember it's the story starts in london when all of a sudden i'm the, the 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 loveliest kid in the class and i become the the baddest kid you know all of overnight it's like i'm swearing it i'm eight mm. I'm, I'm my behavior is terrible and it's changed and one time i'm i'm left in school and they never come and picked me up it's like three or four hours you know i'm left in school and and now the rule is uh, well it is down here you know if there's no contact from a parent <clears throat> and the child is half an hour late there's a call to social services mm. you know um so that's sort of what you're saying you know there was nothing i mean my behavior changed so much maybe but also i was i was changing from school to school um but yeah no there was nothing i mean my behaviour was so bad from being, you know, such a lovely kid to, to changing like that. Um, yeah, now it would be flagged up, definitely. I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, so I guess I know in your book, when you, you go through, well, when you actually get into recovery yourself and you go to the private, was that the first time you 
really started to discuss the impact of your your mum's behaviour and your mum's alcoholism. Is that the first opportunity you got to discuss it with anyone or something happened prior to the priory? No, that was it because I'd self-medicated for 18 years, really. You know, I, 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 it's funny, isn't it? Because you talk about this self-medication. I, t- I, I talk about um, my first time I have a drink when I was about 15. And it, it's like I'd obviously had all this stuff buried, you know, what I witnessed. And and um, and then it's like the, the world changed from black and white to technicolour. You know, I think I describe it like that when I first have a drink and I'm walking around the West End, Covent Garden, where I'm from, and it's like, wow. And it was like, I felt OK. You know, I felt great. Um, and then, you know, I was a functioning alcoholic for years and years and years. And I kind of like just thought, that's your childhood. That's got get on with it. It's got nothing to do. With you. You're, you're a man now, you know, Um so, and it, and I mean, I, I think I've I've heard a lot of this with my cl- with the clients as well. The problems really started. I mean, I was I was always unwell. I mean, if you look at, I mean, the drugs overdose with the, the cocaine, it nearly killed me. What I was doing there, um, you know, I was always like a hundred miles an hour with everything. Um, but I think when it started really affecting me mentally where I couldn't get away maybe when because the 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 um the drink and the drugs stopped working was when I had kids you know and and we know this a lot with clients that what happens is the kids come and and all this stuff that you've buried you know comes back and all my all the thoughts and all the feelings you know as I had a kid you know and I talk about it in the book come up and and I could you know it was like all this childhood trauma that I'd buried was just coming up you know and and when it was coming up I had to drink more and and take more you know to to like bury bury these feelings even more and it's a cycle you know it's definitely a cycle and and I come from families of you know alcoholics and addicts I mean you know, it's, they say it's a family illness. It certainly runs runs in my family. Everyone, you know, there's so much addiction. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like, and, I, and that's what I think is lovely in your story is that through your own recovery and your relationship with your own daughters now, that you don't have that you've broken that cycle, haven't you? That it might still be there. I I've always seen my personal like when people ask you why did you get a uh, how did your life, how did you end up in the situations you ended up in? How did you end up with being addicted as such or being alcoholic? And I always say, I think it's a, a bit part, maybe a part genetic, part environment, and, but mostly just life experiences, you know, and I ended up and then and a lot to do potentially with just like the habit forming nature of my ways of escaping. And all of that, I see it's like a cocktail and everybody's cocktail is a little bit different. You know, that some of us probably, actually, I always thought that it was because of my dad that I became an alcoholic. Um, but actually, I think it was probably dealing with my dad's behaviour at a very young age that was it. So it was him, but not necessarily a genetic way, but 
you don't, you don't need to know, do we? We don't need to know that. All we need to know is that we've got ourselves in, in, a, in a bit of a stick and we need some help to get out of it. No, no, definitely. I mean, addiction is a funny thing. I mean, we, we I run it in the groups all the time and we, we when I do training, like, you know, because we've all got different opinions. We don't really know. You know, we've all got different opinions where addiction comes from. It might be a few... You know, most people, um, a lot of people, it's like from childhood trauma. There's a high percentage of that. I mean, right in the book, you know, it, it's like, you know, when, when you look at it, it's like, I think I think the thing we can agree with, that addiction is about escapism of some fault. I think that that's the thing you can agree with. And, and my personal experience is that, as I said, once I picked up that first drink, it was a perfect escapism for everything and 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 to carry on and carry on. And and definitely agree with what you said there, Teach, about these sorts, especially when, when I worked in rehab as a counsellor, you know, people, and they kind of like shut me away from this about, especially in early recovery, people are like obsessed about, wow, why am I an addict, where it comes from? And, and for me, you know, maybe later on if you want to try and have a look at it but especially early recovery you know that's the problem you know this is about the solution and still now I mean you read the book and and people think what chance did you have I mean I mean I, I said to you didn't I my ex which I was a, I felt a little bit funny my ex-wife who who you know the mother of my ch- children I let her read it you know we're really good friends and and um, I was a bit worried because there's some bits in it you know, things I'd done to her that, you know, and, and, um, you know, that she was, um, you know, I wanted, to, I asked her, you okay to use your name? She went fine, you know, and all that. And, um, and the bit she picked up on, which was interesting, she said to me, I, you know, I'm surprised that, um, you know, you, you didn't start drinking when you was eight. <laughs> we, you know, and I made a joke. I said, well, I would have done if I could have got the vodka off my mum, you know, and, it's that sort of jokey trying a serious situation but I just thought that was nice that and and she found it really hard because she knew my mum and dad and and um you know she she did find it hard drinking because um sorry hard reading mostly I think as a mother as any mother will with what that little boy is going through I mean that that's what really gonna what this little boy is is watching in his home i mean that's the thing you know um um a couple of like um you know my friends claire who helped me a lot with a book and my sister they struggled all being mothers with what the little boy's going through um so yeah yeah i know i mean one of the really difficult bits in it is is the talk i don't know is in australia you first witness uh, domestic violence um or is it the fact that no, it before you go to Australia? Isn't yeah, it? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and yeah. So what's it like? How difficult it is when you put, you, you've got your like most children, they might have their their mother or their father on their on a pedestal, and then you witness this really <clears throat> bad behaviour. How was that to to bear witness to? Yeah, I mean, teach. I, I probably I remember having therapy around it. Um, and and realizing that it was cut final, I think I I might have witnessed bits and pieces before, but it was cut final. Arsenal had reached the FA Cup final. I come home from school, 
really excited. I think I talk about, I just scored the winning goal in the cup final in the playground. You know, I was buzzing and it was cup final. And I come home from school and my mum was lying in bed after being beat, well, beaten to a pulp by my dad. And she was lying in bed battered. And it was only years later when I was having therapy that I realised you know, I'd shut down from then. Up till that time, you know, I'd, I'd shut down because up to that time, life was quite normal. You, you know, like, you know, as I said, everything was going all right. And I can still get in touch with them feelings now because I'd come home. My mum is lying in bed, who I loved, beaten. I knew my dad had done it, you know, and it's that sort of like trying to like adjust now so that the world had become really unsafe. My house had become unsafe. Who could I trust? I couldn't say anything to my dad because I might get what he's got, she got. Um, and I shut down. And even now, that was the, you know, the major, you know. And and when I look at it, Titch, I think out of everything that happened to me, witnessing domestic violence in the home was the thing that harmed me the most. Um, you know, it's the... You know, I, like I said to you, I, I was a specialist domestic violence worker for five years. Um, we got a thing called MARAC. So I was a MARAC representative when you go into and listen to all the cases. And so many times I'd be in there and it would just take me back to that little boy. You know, I'd literally, you know, we literally just, you know, because you go, you go in there and you listen to case after case for 10 hours sometimes. And it it just affects me so much because I was just back as that, you know, little little boy. And I, I personally, you know, this thing about domestic violence, I, personally, I still don't think that there's enough done in this country. You know, I've got, you know, uh, you know, I was abused as a child because of what happens, you know, to me. You know, there, there's a saying, uh, you know, a, a witness to violence is a victim of violence you know it was a form of child abuse um because it cost me more it it caused me more harm than anything else Titch. you know watching that going on and it and there's still there's still this thing you know my opinion certainly down here it's almost like it gets a pass still domestic violence is still you know, it's a form of child abuse. If, if there's domestic violence in the home and there's children in the home, that is child abuse. You know, because you talk about and the reason is we talk about hidden harm, but the hidden harm carries on right into adulthood, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's something that I'm really, you know, um, like passionate about. And, you know, in my recovery, when I were in, in my book, you know, um, my ex-wife, you know, in blackout, we'd had an argument and I'd give her a black eye. Um, and do you know something? Even now, that's still something that I can forgive myself, you know, most things and me, you know, and my ex, you know, we're great friends and, you know, we got and it's all that. But it's still something that I have problems with, you know. And I think if I was to look at the root of it, Titch, it's because I turned into my dad you know, like the monster. And I, I, I'm, I, I'm just saying what I put in the book, you know. Yeah, I, yeah it's very brave of you to, to talk about that. And that allows, I mean, that's what's so great about 
books like yourselves, and there's not that many of them that are just so unflinchingly honest, where you just really um, shine the light on those dark places, because it's very difficult. That's that's absolutely how we go about trying to address stigma, and that can be whether it's about about alcohol or drug use, or whether it's about domestic violence, or whether it's about things that we've done. Do you know that are difficult to talk about? Do you know because that, that you, people carrying that stuff, carrying that shame and that guilt, just can push people further and further away from the support that they need. And I think that's really lovely about your book as well that you come out. I was just thinking when you were talking there, like especially when you were talking about domestic violence, how useful you must be to so many families. Um, it's great that you've been, must be able to take a lot of this, your own personal experiences, and it must be a real comfort to families you support to know that you're talking from a place of experience. I mean, it's really sad for you, obviously, but it's it must really help others. You know, well done. And, and do you get a lot of, do people recognise that? I mean, there must be an extra weight to everything you say because of your experience do, do you know what Chich, we spoke about this do you know my clients i've never self-disclosed mm. um which is interesting when before i worked i've been working for turning point doing the family stuff <clears throat> excuse me for about 10 years um before that i used to work in 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 rehabs like 12-step rehabs and uh, you know all the um counselors in there were in recovery um when I worked in Turning Point, there was a thing of like someone said, well, it's not about self-disclosing. Um, so I've never self-disclosed. I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to self-disclose. And and only all my clients, only one might have asked me, but I think they know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, our service, you know, is like a real, you know, I, I spoke to the top man in Turning Point and he said because of the success of the service, the family service we've run, um, Turning Point nationally, which I think is England, I think it's got nothing to do with Scotland now, Turning Point in England, when they tender services, they make sure that if there's money, which we hope that there's a family service. Um, so I've always been like, um, my job is singing, you know, about the harm this causes families um you know and and because there's still a lot of people who said oh I, from professionals from clinical leads to sort of people on the ground like me i would i knew there was support for substance misusers i didn't know there was support for families um so sorry just going back to your initial point is that i've just let them know this week my clients about my book so i think i'm feeling a bit strange about that as well because None of them, you know, know. Um, they've known, some of them have known me for, you know, years, lots and lots of years, and they've nev never asked. Um, so I think that's probably another reason why I'm feeling a bit shamed. And it's probably good how I'm leaving the country tomorrow for a week to get away from it. <laughs> oh, well, I, th I think you did a great job. I, I think what we'll do, um, we might just make sure... Like we, I think we, there's so much more to explore here, and I know we want to keep our th this podcast to a, a, a reasonable time. But maybe we should do another one once we've uh, a bit further down the line, because I've got so much more I want to ask you, John. Well, I hope this book reaches many people and it gets the the credit it's due, and we'll certainly be promoting it. Our end, we look forward to having you up in Scotland. 
thanks a lot for your time today, John. You've been excellent. And um, I don't think this will be our last podcast. I look forward to many more. And and thanks a lot, you guys up there, you know, and I look forward to coming up again and, and saying thanks a lot for your support as well. Brilliant. Great. Have a lovely day, John, and, and great way, like you say, to recognise the Children of Alcoholics Week. Thanks for that. Take care. Thanks a lot, yeah, Tich. All the best, mate. Thank you for listening. If you're worried about someone else's alcohol and drug use, you can contact Scottish Families on 08080 101011 or by email at helpline at We also have web chat and further information on our website www.sfad.org.uk.